and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Leap into Debt edition. It's Friday, April 15th, and I'm Mariam Ibrahim, a legislature reporter for the Journal and your Press Gallery host. Well, folks, it's finally here. Finance Minister Joe Cece has tabled the NDP government's 2016 budget, and there is a lot to unpack. So we're going to devote most of our episode this week to the numbers. But we also will take some time to discuss, as our episode name suggests, the Leap Manifesto and the very interesting federal NDP convention in Edmonton last weekend. Joining me to give their input are Provincial Affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. City columnist Paula Simons. Hello, Miriam. And editorial writer and Press Gallery founder Sarah O'Donnell. I love that I always get that. Thank you. Good morning. Let's get right into it because there is there is lots to talk about here. So it seemed like the province had, you know, already let out lots of the details about the budget before Thursday's tabling. Even so, there there still were a few bombshells. Fifty seven billion in debt within three years, I think it is. Uh, no balanced books until 2024. Not that that was laid out in the actual books at all. Uh, and a rapidly declining resource revenue stream, which is totally just battering uh, the, the, the province's coffers. I want to start first by just getting everybody's first impressions. Graham, let's start with you. What, what stood out? Yeah, oh, two things overall. One, it's the figures you talked about, the, the big numbers, you know, the, the $10.4 billion deficit. Of course, as you said, um, we had both um, Notley, the Premier, and Joe Cece, the Finance Minister, giving us this information for weeks in advance to take some of the sting out of it. But still, these big numbers, $57 billion in debt, um, and borrowing $10 billion this year, half of it for um, capital and half of it for operating. It's huge numbers. But overall, what struck me is the fact this is the first true NDP budget. And, uh, and they're being un- unapologetic. They're not flinching. They're going ahead. This is a much different budget than we saw in the past um, you know, with uh, Ralph Klein, austerity budgets. This is not an austerity budget. And it, this is the NDP saying, look, we're elected last year, and the price of oil has gone down, but we're pushing ahead with our agenda. And that, t- that to me, overall, is, is the overriding narrative here, is that this is the first NDP budget, and they weren't blinking. Yeah, no, you're right. There definitely were no apologies from the finance minister yesterday. He, in fact, said he was very happy to be able to present this budget because despite the fact that the the province's books had taken a bit of a beating, they were still keeping uh, funding going for health and education and social services. Paula, what stood out for you? You know, I think it had never struck me before with this kind of bitter clarity just how much resource revenues have collapsed. $1.4 billion. $1.4 billion. That's all that they're projecting that we're going to take in in resource revenues. I mean, that doesn't just represent an 85% decrease from from peak. I mean, it's the collapse of oil prices, but it's also, let's remember, the historic collapse of natural gas, which used to provide even more to our coffers than, than oil did. When, when you go back and look at 2008, 2009, you had resource revenue of almost $12 billion. I mean, from $12 billion to $1.4 billion, there is no budget magic in the world that can make up that kind of shortfall. Uh, but what also really struck me is that there doesn't seem to be any attempt in this budget to actually find another mechanism to make up that kind of shortfall. Because if oil prices don't recover in the next two, three, four, five years, 
I mean, are we going to go on having budgets like this? I mean, is there ever any point at which we have a serious conversation about the fact that other provinces that don't have oil and gas revenues fund their budgets out of, you know, taxes? Uh, because there's certainly nothing in here about a sales tax, nothing in here about any other kind of tax mechanism that would begin to make up that kind of revenue loss. I was absolutely struck by all of the same things that Graham and Paula were, but I think those things... As the day went on, that's what I got thinking. Well, the first thought I had when I looked at this budget is, this is the first time that me and my family, starting in 2017, are going to actually start to pay for our carbon because that's what's in this budget. And I think with all the big numbers about the debt and those very far-looking things, we it's getting ever so slightly lost yesterday that there is going to be prices at the at the gas pump. We're going to start to pay uh, a carbon tax for fuel and a carbon tax on our natural gas. Now, there's also a big rebate program that goes with that. We can talk about that. Mm -hmm. But I just thought th that's one thing as individuals that's very different about this budget. That's what I started at the day. But then as the day progressed, I got to where Graham and Paula were. Well, and they're definitely tying that whole, uh, you know, uh, suite of, of investments and, and the carbon tax and everything as part of the bigger uh, uh, question of access to markets and, and getting, you know, pipelines built and getting Alberta's resources to other markets. So there clearly is still this dependence obviously on those revenues on that resource Graham are there other options well, here yeah this is the option we're talking about here is the PST or an HST uh, harmonized sales tax or provincial sales tax because maybe I've been hanging out with economists too long <laughs> too often this week <laughs> oh could also, you ever hang out too much with economists <laughs> and I saw I was in Ontario uh, just last week and people there are discussing the same thing so if you're not from Alberta or you're an economist you're wondering where's the PST because this province could actually you know, bring in a, a provincial sales tax and, you know, make $5 billion. And economists and people who don't live here say, why not do that? And that's still a question, and I think Paula's right. If this was definitely a short-term thing, you know, two or three years, don't worry, it'll, it'll be okay by 2018, fine, we can do this in the short term. But in the longer term, if we're looking at 2024 to balance the budget, and that's just a wild guess on his part at this point, from CeCe's part, um, you gotta wonder, we can't sustain this long term. So you're wondering, next election, I'm wondering if PST might actually be a, an issue next election because they can't keep doing this. But I don't think they could have in this budget brought in a carbon tax and a, a provincial sales tax. Yeah, that would have politically, been you're absolutely right. politically insane. And I think that at this point you can't. But what was interesting is that there wasn't even the hint that this is something we're going to need to think about down the road. The finance minister was very seriously like, no sales tax, no PST. We're not talking about that. Right. Um, but I've got to say, though, I get the impression in some ways a carbon tax is, is a sales tax mm. because um, I've been trying, yes. to find, been trying to get numbers yesterday. Okay, fine. You brought a carbon levy in. How will that reduce our emissions? And they couldn't answer that question. And, so, and also yesterday morning in the technical briefing, we had the experts of the government officials saying, the price of natural gas, for example, is so low right now, even bringing in a, a, a carbon levy on natural gas isn't going to affect consumption. So what it is, it's a way of taxing people um, and collecting. It's, it's, it's a tax grab. I don't like that term, but in a sense, to me, the carbon levy right now is not maybe aimed at reducing emissions. I don't see any numbers to back that up in terms of them actually having a plan to reduce emissions through a carbon levy. And it will let their critics say this is just a tax grab. Well, and now we're hearing criticism of the corresponding rebate program that goes along with the carbon tax. Uh, it was a little bit complicated in terms of how it gets phased in and who it applies to and who it doesn't apply to and when. But 
they say that 60% of Albertans are going to get some sort of rebate back to help compensate for the impact that this carbon tax is going to have on their wallet. What was the reaction to that? Well, it's interesting. Our colleague David Staples has a column about this in today's paper in which he likens it to Ralph Klein's Ralph Bucks, which you'll remember that, uh, that Klein gave everybody. The difference, I guess, is that in this case, it is being indexed based on family income and family size. Uh, and it's also designed, you know, Andrew Leach, who is one of the architects of this of this plan, was on Twitter yesterday, He's an economist from the University of Alberta, explaining that the idea here is not to penalize families, it's to incent families, so that the idea is that if you actually reduce your energy consumption, you'll end up with even more money, relatively speaking, in your pocket. I'm not quite sure that it's going to work that way in people's heads. It sort of seemed like it opened up the government to a lot of criticism from its critics who are on the right. Uh, the Wild Rose and the PCs looked at it and said, you know, you're how how is this going to actually impact the amount of emissions that people are putting out into, into the right. atmosphere? Well, I think the goal of I think ultimately, if you have a carbon tax, your goal would be to get emission eventually to not collect the carbon tax if you're successful with your carbon tax you want to be earning very little revenue from that stream because that means that you've gotten everybody off of uh, fossil fuel so that's the grand ultimate goal 100 you know long 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 term and yet so much i think of the government's revenues when we look over the next five years is coming from that carbon they're being very careful but they're you know what this is i mean they're very they're very worried about the impact on low and middle income albertans so i think with this plan and they can say that on balance, yes, you paid at the beginning, but you you get money back. And then there's, you know, there, there's still that ultimately that incentive because you still do have to pay it in the first place. Right. And then you get the money back and you're as a rebate a year later. I think it's only going to be an annual. Re- Did they say what what the form of the rebate's going to be? I can't. It'll, remember. It'll depend on which rebate you are getting, um, you know, how much of it you're getting, which value figure you're getting and then it'll come you know either in january and june or quarterly or you know once a year twice a year it just depends on how much money you're actually getting in your rebate it'll work like a federal gst rebate effectively if you file your taxes you'll be sent this deposit at you know various intervals in the year whenever it's appropriate i did see here some yesterday wonder if it was just a wealth distribution scheme redistribution scheme i definitely heard that and i don't know if that's fair or not i'm not i'm not quite sure where i fall on that declaration but it it definitely but the the thresholds are fairly high i mean the income at which the rebate is fully phased out for a family with two children is $101,000 in uh, 2017 and $106,000 in 2018 and that's after taxes so that does cover a fairly broad swath of alberta Absolutely. Before we before we uh, get too too much deeper into this conversation, I did want to make note of the fact that the NDP came out yesterday and announced that it was going to be throwing out a law that it had passed just four or five months ago. This uh, highly touted law that was going to limit Alberta's debt to GDP ratio to fifteen percent. You know, and they passed it to great fanfare. This is going to keep our credit ratings high, and this is going to limit Alberta's debt. It's going to make it sustainable. And then in the budget yesterday. Scrapping it. They announced that yeah. they were scrapping it. Yeah, in three years, it'll be over 15, it'll be 15.5%. And so that's right. So it's setting the stage now for a 15.5% sort of debt to GDP ratio within three years. That became an immediate target, obviously, for uh, the opposition. 
Graham, I mean, should we be taking this as seriously as the Wild Rose wants us to? They they say this is going to knock our credit rating down. Well, I imagine it will. And this is interesting. Last year, they did two things. Uh, one was they announced their job creation program last year that never <laughs> got off the ground. Yeah, and which and was also effectively canceled it, this Exactly. Week. So the, the, the retooled that completely. And last year, they were saying, don't worry, we'll be borrowing, but not above 15% of uh, debt to GDP. And they have to scrap that. That's showing... Um, just how far the price of oil has fallen and just how much money they're spending and borrowing. And so the NDP is basically saying they're putting no limit now on how much they could borrow. That's right. right. The cap and wasn't being replaced with a new cap. And not just for capital, but for operating expenses. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing that has a lot of people very uncomfortable because it was one thing Alison Redford could make a case that she was borrowing for infrastructure, that that was investment and it would pay off long term. You know, borrowing for operating costs is, as anybody, you know, thinks about this from their own household knows, you know, not to sound like Ralph Klein here, but it is different to borrow for a mortgage than it is to borrow for your groceries. That said, let us circle back to the moment where uh, it used to be that they got $12 billion in resource revenues, and now they are getting so $1 billion Paula in resource revenue. Paula set herself up for this so perfectly. She was <laughs> but, like the assist and the goal. But, but you know, what, what are they going to do? And I think it's really it is amusing in a bleak way to imagine. Remember, this was the time that Jim Prentice was supposed to be going to the polls. Um, I, I, this was the time that if we'd been on a four-year election cycle, that the conservatives would have had to go to the public and guess what? The price of oil would still have been what it is. So what would we rather have a government do? Would I rather have had them make some more cuts to spending? I, I, I think I might have, but would I have wanted to go back to the Ralph Klein slash and burn austerity? I mean, that proved devastating long term for the economy, especially in the Edmonton region. So, you know, faced with a disaster, this is their disaster plan. Well, I, I do want to circle back real quick to what you were mentioning earlier, uh, Graham, uh, the jobs plan that was canceled. So this budget was called the Alberta jobs, jobs plan. Um <laughs> Graham would not have branded it as such. I think many people <laughs> were sort of curious about the choice. I mean, obviously, we know politically speaking, politicians like to put fancy names on things that like dress it up and make it sound a lot nicer well, and more benevolent and, and helpful than it is. But, you know, the thing that stood out for me was that here we see, you know, an actual jobs investment, an investment under the Economic Development and Trade Ministry that has sort of been t given responsibility for spurring job growth. And we saw $250 million in investments over two years. They're not creating 100,000 jobs. They're creating the... I don't know what we call it. There was some government jargon. The they're creating, creating the, the environment to the support conditions. the creation. Yeah, that the, the, the word yesterday, they were using a term. It wasn't creating, creating jobs. The conditions creating the conditions to allow for To hopefully allow companies to then generate maybe 100,000 yeah. jo jobs over, over, over three, three years. years. Over three years. And the thing is, and Cece was asked yesterday this very question, you're calling it a jobs uh, budget. And the jobs actual creation is $250 million, and you got a $51 billion budget. It's a pretty small amount. And he was saying, well, look, you're also you're, you're forgetting. Um, he mentioned, of course, the uh, capital money on capital projects that will create jobs. But then he had a hard time explaining anything else after that. He tried to get in the uh, the child uh, tax credit um, 
that whole thing, and it just didn't really make a lot of well, sense. Well, there is there is a small business tax cut, a, yeah, a but modest a, one, a one percent. Well, it's only three percent. It was to begin from three percent to two percent, and I feel like that was more to offset the carbon levy for yeah, business for absolutely. small businesses. I think that's how they painted it as well yeah, yeah. in the budget documents. And, and, and there are a couple of other. Yeah. Okay. okay Paula. Paula. Yeah, no, I, the, no, I mean, Paula, the floor uh, is Meyer, yours. Meyer, explain Meyer, that. Paula, no, no. tell me what should <laughs> we be happy about? No, I, mean, I, can't, I, I can't explain it. Graham is absolutely right. When I when they said you know when they gave the budget its cute little name, I was like, oh please, oh I please. It's they, not a they job just, They justified it in three ways. One, they are not cutting jobs. So I mean, if you want to look at it that way, <laughs> not okay. cutting jobs. The capital plan, like you said, and then that two hundred fifty million dollars. I'm not. I'm not saying that that's what they should have stamped on the budget, but I'm just saying that was from my interpretation of what Joe Cece said pretty clearly. The three planks on which they were standing. It should, it should have called it Alberta's first NDP budget. <laughs> <laughs> Why will they never listen to you, Graham? But I think what is interesting here is. Uh, there are a lot of supports for families. I mean, that child, the child benefit, uh, will make a lot of difference for for people. I just want to point are... out to everybody that it's not new. It was announced in the October budget, yeah, yes. but yeah. they are definitely really promoting that a lot. And I, I wonder if it's just a matter of no, nobody knows it exists. Well, I, I think that plus it's it's good optics. That's but tax season. There's, yeah, there's also a major, major, uh, be a huge investment in social housing. Uh, which is critically important because we're not talking about homeless shelters here. We're talking about uh, apartments that are at slightly below market levels for people who simply can't afford uh, apartments and condos even in this slowed down economy. And our social housing stock is in terrible shape in this province, especially in the Edmonton area. So this this could be really critical. But, you know, um, not a lot of money for city infrastructure i mean the big announcement was you know some money for a fort edmonton upgrade that's not big money for the city of edmonton there you know some actually reductions i think in what they were expecting in municipal infrastructure grants um and, and you know and the sort of their big cut that they announced was to rationalize boards which makes sense because you know did you need a board to be responsible for the province's manure i'm not sure but you know that's only going to save 33 million dollars yeah and it that's, was you know peanuts, that's 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 really. like my trying to lose weight by clipping my fingernails yeah i mean 33 million over three years after consolidating 26 consolidating or dissolving 26 agencies boards and commissions it's it's the small stuff and it, and it is interesting that all of the kinds of things that the government is touting as you know cuts or not cuts but we're spending less we're, we're still increasing spending on health but we're but not as much what is their phrase we're bending, bending the, the curve, curve. <laughs> if one more person says bend what does that mean uh, curves are, are, are bended bent. already what this doesn't make i know i just they're be, yeah be, 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 probably curving the trajectory the yeah. would have been a better uh oh peep, that's a big word yeah um, so <laughs> you know as, as keith Duran, our, our uh our colleague on the health beat pointed out i mean there is an increase in health spending, but there's a decrease in the increase. That's what that's what you can say. We've never increased it so so little, little? in so long. So you know it's going to effectively mean that you know for universities, for the healthcare system, for education, those are increases. They're not the kind of increases that people have been used to. Yeah. So it is going to probably mean things that feel like cuts, even if they aren't cuts. That is probably not going to be enough to to make a difference to 
to how people feel about this degree of debt, but it is going to make them crabby about the services that they get. So before we do end the show, we want to talk about the leak manifesto because Premier Rachel Notley really did have to uh, defend herself quite staunchly this week in the legislature after uh, NDP delegates at the uh, convention in Edmonton voted in favor of studying the document over the next two years. It's, it was an interesting convention to see the third party of the of in uh, in Ottawa coming down to Edmonton and get, gaining all this attention, uh, obviously for all the implications that it has on Alberta's NDP government. Sarah, let's start just real quickly with you know what what is the Leap Manifesto? What is what is it saying? What did the convention? Yeah, well, I mean, adopt. so it is it is a document. It's been around for a while. It was introduced, you know, it, it came into the play during the federal election, right? Um, it was it was it's this idea. It's a man, it's very short as manifestos go. It's very short, only four pages, easy to read. But they they talk about it, it was created by a group of people who I think you can safely call they would call themselves progressive. Avi Lewis, Naomi Klein. It's signed on by all kinds of other celebrities as well. Tegan and Sarah. I saw Alanis Morissette. Whole range of people have signed on to this document. And and it's, the opening line is: We start from the premise that Canada is facing the deepest crisis in recent memory. And and it goes on to talk about how our record on climate change is a crime against humanity's future. So they talk about how small steps to prevent catastrophic global warming are not going to get us where they need to go. So we need to leap. And basically, they're saying that leap needs to include. No new pipelines, an end to resource extraction. Uh, we need to make sure that we are protecting, uh, you know, indigenous peoples. Uh, and it goes, it goes on like that for basically four lines. It's, it's quite broad. There's nothing very specific, but yeah, it goes along like that. And so the the delegates voted to sort of study this and consider it as a potential maybe basis for policy in the future. Obviously, then having some implications for Rachel Notley here in Alberta because people already love to tie the federal NDP and the provincial. NDP together uh, into one big pretzel. You were in the room when they were discussing this. What was the reception? I mean, because obviously Alberta ministers and the premier came out very staunchly against this idea. The Leap Manifesto at first, they're hoping to actually get it adopted at the convention. They're hoping to actually have them adopt it. But the thing is, a lot of pressures they were saying from people like Notley, you can't do this. So they had a compromise. And the compromise was, we'll go back and talk about it. And Avi Lewis and others thought no one could possibly vote against that because what's wrong with talking about these things? But Notley knows, unless you kill it, just talking about it actually then gives it some life. And Notley wanted it to be killed. And she spoke very strongly in her speech on Saturday saying, she didn't actually name the manifesto, but she was saying the manifestos are, you know, are wonderful and great, but when you become government, you've got to be a lot more practical. And so she was saying, we need pipelines. And the manifesto was anti-pipeline, but she said in a very powerful speech, well-received. When she was bashing the conservatives, they were all on their feet clapping and cheering. But she mentioned pipelines, eh, not half, so much. Half the room sits down. Yeah, the, the back half kind of sits there. The, fr- the, the front half, which is the Alberta delegation, is whooping and cheering. So she made a very strong speech, but the majority of delegates, it was a pretty close vote on Sunday morning, but they voted in favor of keep on, to keep on talking about this at the local level for the next two years until the 2018 uh, convention. And people kept, uh, from the, the pro-LEAP manifesto side, kept saying to us, what's wrong with, with talking about it? We're, we're not adopting it, we're just talking about it. But Alberta knows this looks really bad. And what Notley did was actually uh, very good in the sense that she came out and spoke very strongly against it. So she was telling critics in Alberta, the right-wingers, look, I understand pipelines are important, so I'm actually going to fight my own 
federal MDP over this issue. And I think, actually, I mean, the irony, I mean, because initially when this came out, it was going to be terrible for Rachel Notley and the local NDP. In a peculiar way, in a very peculiar way, I think it's actually paid off huge dividends for them. Notley's speech on Saturday was outstanding. It was as brilliant as that awful kitchen table thing was that. Um, <laughs> Paula, so, tell us one more time how you felt about that. that and it was better lighting, chat. I believe. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, so she was she was on fire Saturday, and she was on fire Monday when she came out and gave that press conference and called and sneered at what she called this so-called manifesto, which she claimed that she didn't even bother to read all the way through. It's I mean, only she four pages. You know, I mean, four very it four very very wide, widely spaced pages. And not just Notley, but Shannon Phillips, the environment minister, Sarah Hoffman, the health minister, uh, Gil McGowan of the Alberta Federation of Labor, they were all guns blazing, defending Alberta, defending the oil patch in this kind of full-throated roar. And I, I think for a lot of people, I mean, what, what I was watching on Twitter and Facebook were a lot of people who are very usually critical of Notley and the NDP were, were cheering them on and saying, this is great. And I think it actually gave her a bit of a bounce and a bit of insulation going in to this disaster budget. So uh, it's a very peculiar thing, though. Can she continue that? Because the infighting in the NDP federally I mean, is going to, the backsplash of this is going to eventually catch up with them. And, uh, you know, the, the pressure now is at what point does she disassociate herself from the federal NDP? Monday, she was clear that she wasn't going to do that, at least not yet. She said, you know, parties disagree federally and provincially all the time. But uh, the premier of Alberta cannot countenance a policy document that says keep the oil in the ground. It's, it's or that says no to pipelines when she has obviously over the last you know several months made that something that she's she's trying to build up her credibility on pipelines and having her I guess federal counterparts come into town and say no 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 we don't we don't want that, that to happen I think is really going to be the thing that she doesn't well, want and, to happen. And, and, and hold on, let's yeah, say quickly yeah. this is a social license issue yeah. and it's really interesting that you know Alberta has done all this in the, the carbon reduction front on its carbon levy and everything else dealing with its climate change plan to get some social license, get credibility and recognition in other parts of the country, and they can't even get it from their own federal cousins. That's the problem, because you know, uh, Notley's saying, look, we're doing things differently now. We're gonna get serious about the environment. That will pay dividends. We'll get more pipelines built. People will be cheering us in the streets, and they're not. But the peculiar thing was that on Monday, she almost sounded like she was channeling her inner Ezra Levant. She, <laughs> she didn't call it ethical oil, she called it was it progressive resource development and I thought yeah that that'd be ethical oil um we're gonna end the episode on the comparison between <laughs> Rachel Notley and Ezra something Levant. to chew on I like that I think that's where we're gonna end it just You're really newer. just give everyone that to, to think about for a minute there. yeah we're a little punchy today yeah but before, of course, we end, we will give you also some things to read for the weekend. Good stuff from the gallery. Our panelists will share with you their favorite reads, watch, listen. What What do you have, Sarah? Mine is pretty simple because I felt like everyone needed something just ever so slightly lighter after, you know, a pretty deep week with manifestos and budgets and that sort of thing. So I'm a terrible eye roller myself. I have to be very careful in uh, scrums. Any Anytime I have cameras around that I don't get caught on camera rolling my eyes. It's something I say my friends have. It's a struggle. It's a previously accused me of uh yes being a terrible eye roller so i <laughs> felt some sympathy there's a cbc story that has a gift so it's more of a watch and a quick very quick read of uh, nick whalen an mp from st john's east who uh cbc's uh, stephanie tobin put up a piece of uh, him rolling his eyes in 
absolute dramatic fashion. Uh, he's a liberal backbencher as a cons- conservative MP, Cheryl Gallant, is speaking in the parliament and he just gets caught. It makes a great gif. Uh, yeah. I've seen the gif. It is great. Yeah. It is It is an eye roll with flourish. And I, I, I really wanted to bring something about Newfoundland, but I did last time and I'll see an obsessed, so I'm not going to. Stay tuned, Sarah. Okay. Paula, what do you have? I'm going to suggest that people read uh, something a little heavier. The Supreme Court of Canada's decision in Daniels this week, which in the midst of everything else was extraordinarily important uh, judgment about uh, the rights of Métis and non-status Indians in this country, uh, saying that they are under federal jurisdiction and that and the consequences and impact of this are still going to be figured out. The province's reaction to it was very interesting. Uh, Richard Fee, the Minister of Indigenous Affairs, put out a statement saying that they uh, respect the decision, uh, which is kind of code word for they don't love it. I mean, they... They said that you know they respect and accept the Supreme Court's ruling, as opposed to saying they applaud, applaud the Supreme Court yeah. ruling. So what this will mean, I don't know. But interesting. it's but it's an interesting a, a ruling by uh, Justice Abella, uh, an interesting read. All right, Graham. In case you haven't had enough of the budget, I'm recommending our coverage. I know it's self-serving, but again, this podcast is self-serving. <gasps> I would this podcast I is an important public service. And it's also, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe that's how you approach it, Graham. <laughs> there's, um, a great, there's a great front page column by, by Graham Thompson hey, today. I didn't even notice. Who's hey, that? that. Um, actually, in all seriousness, there's actually half a dozen pages here of um, analysis and information on the budget. And I thought I was really proud of it. I thought it was a good job. And, and from people, did. you know, from from Janet French, our education reporter, from Absolutely. Kate Ryan on health. I mean, it, it covers uh, the David Staples, uh, Miriam did the the main piece. Um, yeah, there's also an, an editorial written by Sarah about it. So there's, there's six and a half pages of coverage, and I thought it was pretty good. Fresh off the presses. All right, and then I have. I said Newfoundland, didn't I? You did. I, I'm so glad. A Tale of Two Budgets by Lauren Krugel of the Canadian Press. Uh, a Tale of Two Budgets, a deluge of red ink in Alberta and Newfoundland amid oil crash. So you can all sort of take a look at the, the two budgets there and can compare the, the two government approaches. Thanks very much, everyone. We'll be sure to post all those links online. And that is a wrap on this episode of the Press Gallery. You can find this episode and an archive of past editions on the website at edmontonjournal.com opinion. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and via TuneIn Radio. Subscribe and a fresh edition of the Press Gallery will be delivered right to you. Thanks to Graham, Paula, and Sarah, along with Greg Southam, our videographer this week. And we should thank Sam Brooks for helping us with our technical difficulties. Technical support by Sam Brooks. Thank you, Sam. And of course, thank you all for listening. I'm Miriam Ibrahim, and we'll be back next week in the Press Gallery.